Welcome to Get in the Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery brought to you by the McShin Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us. Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get in the Herd. Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Get in the Herd, McShin Recovery Resource Foundation's award-winning recovery podcast. I am your host today, Nathan Mitchell. I always forget to introduce myself. I, I just make assumptions, don't I, Justin? You um, do. It's okay, though. We, I think we all know who you are by now. Oh, still. my goodness. I don't know who I am, so please tell me. Today, I am so grateful to have with us uh, Sue Polston, who runs an organization in Asheville, North Carolina. She's the executive director of the Sunrise Community for Recovery and Wellness. I visited with Sue just a little over a year ago on my Recovery Across America, or we were calling it Addiction Across America tour at that time. Um, welcome to the show, Sue. It's really great to have you here. I understand there's been a lot that's gone on for with you, um, for you, for the organization since I saw you last. So tell us, what's going on in your world? Everything. <laughs> um, well, <clears throat> Since a year ago, we, we, uh, we've grown tremendously. We were already on a, a pretty uphill growth when we were meeting, and it's um, over doubled since then. Um, so we've uh, just in the last six months, we've had a 133% increase in staff. Um, you're right. We've had, um, we went from seven programs to 11 programs. Um, and things are just chaotically amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm taking that chaotically amazing. I want to use yeah. that. Well, so tell us, what is the mission of the Sunrise Community for Recovery, Recovery and Wellness? What is, what is, what is y'all's focus? How do you help the, the next sick and suffering? So our, our actual mission statement is um, our mission is to empower individuals in the community to overcome and manage substance use and or mental health challenges. Um, so we are super focused and passionate around um, recovery in, for substance use, for mental health, um, for both, uh, and, and just overall wellness. Um, and we're super passionate that, you know, if there's a million people in recovery, then there's a million different ways to recover, and it looks a million different ways. So, um, we're, we we are, you know, we're on the the path of all paths. Mm. I got to tell you, uh, I, I enjoyed meeting with you last year, and I met your daughter too. Uh, uh, your daughter, right? I believe that was. Um, and I know you guys were closed down, which you know is it was. You were one of the first places I visited on the entire trip. So, you know, I was early on the East Coast and leaving you till I got all the way back to Richmond going around the country. I think, you know, there's another probably 45, 48 days um, in the, you know, in that space. And so there was a lot that happened to me and I'm sure to you. Um, I know. And of course, since last year, I know that we have you know felt the impact of COVID, um, certainly. Uh, but we've also felt the impact of um, <clears throat> excuse me, felt the impact of the recovery community coming together to really continue and to fight to continue our programming. So I know that you were still doing things, you know, we have recovery residences. So part of our 
a big part of our mission is to ensure that, you know, we have housing for people. And, you know, we were able to keep the doors open the entire time during the pandemic. We adapted, um, we accommodated, but we still kept the doors open and made sure that we would bring people in. I know you did that too, but you had to adapt as well. How did you have to adapt and how have you continued to adapt for your new programming? Sure. Um, <clears throat> So, for example, our, our recovery drop-in center um, was shut down. We are we are located inside the United Way building, um, so we, you know, we had to follow their lead. Um, unfortunately, the United Way is still closed to the public to this day. However, our recovery center is open. Um, we just meet folks at the door and then walk them in. But what I will say about our team is, um, I'm pretty sure it was like March. 16th was the day that everything just kind of shut down um, uh, and we closed the recovery center. We closed our peer operated respite house. Um, and within three days, we knew, well, we knew nothing about how to do Zoom or, you know, or if we did, it was very little, but um, we're almost pros at this point because um, within three days, we were able to shift all of our normal programming, all of our uh, peer led groups, our 12 step um, groups that are on our schedule. We were able to throw that onto Zoom. And so we are still doing that actually. We're doing like a hybrid. So you can be in person and or um, on Zoom and um, so that was a that was a huge thing that happened and you know i don't know when covid first hit i i, I swore i was like who i'm gonna get a break i'm gonna be able to lay down and watch tv and chips and i'm still waiting for that moment <laughs> you, you, uh, you've had a, a a long year as well um congratulations on new staff that's that's pretty amazing what are you all doing? You know, so you're doing the Zoom meetings. How are you all meeting people where they're at? So people can still come to the center, but they can only come to the front door. Is that what I, what I understand? They come to the front door. We have a little doorbell on one of the doors that they can, if they don't have a phone, otherwise they would just call the center and we would meet them at the door and walk them into our, our office space. Okay. Um, that And that's just the recovery center. So that another big thing that happened um, was we ramped up in our outreach, you know, we, we did, we did outreach here and there, or, you know, one location per week once COVID hit and we knew, you know, we, we still had folks unsheltered and on the streets and they needed our attention too. Um, we uh, just ramped up the outreach effort and, um, I don't have that number right in front of me, but that had increased significantly. Um, for some numbers, here's an example. Um, two years ago, Sunrise had had 11,000 episodes of peer support. So let me back that up just a second. We just celebrated our fifth year with the doors open. Wow. Thanks. We had a big birthday event. It was really cool. Um, so two years ago, we had a total from day one till two years ago, 11,000 episodes of peer support. Um, this past one year has been 24,000 episodes of peer support. So that's just, yeah, that's like mind blowing to even say, but um, we, uh, another new newer program for us that increased the amount of staff that we do have is 
we are working closely with the city of Asheville in contracting with them and we are staffing a shelter, AKA hotel rooms. Um, we had, we had an enormous amount of unsheltered folks in campsites um, and it, it increased when COVID happened. And so the city was trying to do something. They asked Sunrise, you know, can you do this? I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. And so um, we're actually staffing 24 seven, um, two different hotel locations at the moment. Uh, we're in the process of consolidating just to the one. Um, and with bigger plans and bigger picture ideas of having a, our county having a low, low barrier shelter or high access shelter, so that's in the works and we are hoping that um, Sunrise will be able to continue that staffing and, and run that operation as well. That's the plan anyways. Well, that, that for our individuals who may not know and, and, and maybe clarification for myself as well, when you say low barrier or high access shelter, what does that mean, Sue? So um, basically right now we have shelters in our area. Um, they require ID. They require you to take a breathalyzer. Um, they require you to separate from your family. Um, they don't allow animals. Um, the uh, things like that. So, so the the high access shelter is just that. Um, so, for example, right now the folks, some of the folks we have in the hotel is, um, you know, they were able to bring their pets. Um, so there's pet rooms and, um, couples were able to stay together in the same room. Um, some couples have actually had babies now too. So, you know, the family, <clears throat> we're not requiring them to be abstinent. We're not also encouraging them to use while they're there. There obviously are some, some types of guidelines in place. However, um, the ultimate goal is to, um, to really just like, show the way and, and work work with our folks um, to learn different skills that they may not have or maybe relearn skills that they forgot. And, and the ultimate big picture goal is for permanent housing. So, um, yeah. That's, that's a beautiful goal. Um, sounds to me, <coughs> excuse me, sounds to me though um not though sounds to me that's really a very compassionate approach that's the very definition of meeting people where they're at um from what i'm hearing and you know there's a there's a a big um, shame game that even people in recovery can still you know play uh when we're trying to help people it's like well you can't stop doing that so we can't help you anymore and i i you know, having been a house leader, have you know, in the where I work, of course, you know, I have sort of been getting a, a better understanding of you know harm reduction and a better understanding of compassionate care and what that means and how that means for me and how I interact with people who are still using um, or or may still want to continue to use. It's just a matter of you know, this is a person, and I'm going to love that person regardless of that person, what they're doing. Um, and it, it doesn't have to affect my recovery. That's the, that's the part I've learned is that if somebody else is, you know, using, that doesn't mean I'm going to, I have to change what I'm doing for my recovery. So what are you doing for your recovery? How has your recovery been affected? Oh, sorry. By the pandemic, um, by, by all these changes that are going on um, at work and how are you maintaining your recovery while providing access to other people? 
That is a really great question. Um, I so, for example, I have a vacation coming up. <laughs> I am going to completely disconnect for two weeks. Um, I uh, recently realized I haven't taken any time, real time off, um, probably since Christmas. Uh, and so um, it's been a struggle. I, have, I haven't been perfect at it. A lot of my team hasn't been perfect at it. But what we are doing is showing up. Um, just being real and honest and saying like, I can't do this today. Like I'm, I just can't. And then, you know, we have supports surrounding us that just hop in and, and when we still getting it, we're still getting it done. Um, it, it's been heartbreaking to see and, and hear about others um, in our own community. And I'm sure it's in every community, um, the burnout, the yeah. fatigue and, and not, not, have been able to take care of themselves. Um, so just knowing about that and hearing about it has put like a healthy fear in my head and like, and just, um, so what I'm doing for my recovery is um, I'm continuing to show up no matter what, I'm being really authentic and honest in where I'm at. And some days I am not that well, <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, and, uh, there's definitely been an increase. There's an increase in services. There's an increase in the severity of the needs of our folks. And um, I'm just really, uh, truly grateful for the um, my support network because, you know, I, I, it's taken a village to um, maintain my recovery through all this. Um, yeah, it's, it's been rough. This last, what, 16, I don't, I've lost count. It just is the new normal now, but um, yeah, it's been a minute and it's been rough. Yeah. You've had um, some challenges that, that I, and, and I, I asked you, I hope, I hope, I, I hope this is okay to talk about. Um, when I got to, when I got to Atlanta shortly after I left you um, and I didn't actually stop in Atlanta, I just drove through Atlanta, which is enough. <laughs> you fly through Atlanta, you drive, um, but I stopped and, and uh, at a you know, at a truck stop, to use the restroom and whatnot. And I got a message from my father and my father is in Southwest Florida down in Naples. And he texted me and said, and, and I, you know, I love my dad. And sometimes he listens to the show. My relationship with my father is a very, um, uh, challenging relationship. And, uh, still, you know, and it's one thing in my recovery that, that I'm working on still. With, and, but anyway, the point of that, you know, he told me, and I don't think I'd spoken to him in a while, but when he when I reached out when he reached out to me, he told me that he had tested positive for COVID. And at that moment, I had I had purposely not gone into Florida. I was in Atlanta, so you know if if I was ever going to go to Florida, that would be the point where I would start going further south. But my next stop after Atlanta, uh, well, it was Montgomery and then New Orleans, and I sat there for for a minute, kind of spinning in the car. Probably, probably walked around for a bit too, and literally spun because I wasn't sure what to do. You know, um, knowing that if my my father's down there alone, he has a girlfriend, and and I think she wasn't available at that time. She was a uh, um, well, she was doing something else, so she wasn't a, she wasn't around. So he was by himself, and I thought, well, shoot, am I going to cut this trip short and drive down there and take you know possibly take care of? him he's you know he's in his 60s he's diabetes he's had two heart attacks you know these are the things you know to consider and i had to sit there and gratefully i'm grateful that i you know my sister 
who at the time lived in Texas, I was able to, I called her and I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know? And I made the decision to just continue driving around until I got to Texas, knowing that if something did happen, um, at least I could meet with her and we could drive together. But also there was nothing I could do driving to Naples to be with my dad. I can't be with him. I'm going to have to stay. And I mean, there's nothing, I'm not a doctor, you know, I don't have the magical cure for COVID. And it was a, it was a scary moment. The scary moment for me, and and as it turned out, he did come through, and 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 he's okay now. Um, but I know that you've had a challenge with that, and and I know that shortly after I I left you, um, your father passed away. Um, how has that you know affected you and and your recovery and 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 really the family? And what have you done since then? So um, actually, it was like August eighth was a year ago that my father did pass. So probably around exactly a year ago. He was admitted into the hospital. He was uh, in his 70s. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he he went to the hospital for something else. Right. He had just had some kind of heart um, monitor put in and he was having difficulties with that. So he went back into the hospital and he caught COVID in the hospital oh. uh, after he was there for a couple of weeks. Um, and so that was challenging. It was extremely challenging because there was absolutely nothing you can do. You're completely freaking powerless and you just had to sit and wait. I got to, I got to um, say goodbye to my dad on zoom and uh, from his hospital bed, which I didn't even know that that was like that moment. I kind of felt like, Oh crap, is this that moment? (laughs) You know? And, um, he chose not to be um, on a ventilator because the doctor couldn't promise that he would come off of it. So he decided not to do that. Um, and so for the week or so afterwards, uh, me and my sisters um, went to his house and cleaned up and he, he's a person, he was a person in recovery himself. So he was, uh, he was a uh, AA strong in uh, 30 plus years. In, oh, wow. in sobriety and uh so he, he's kind of been you know more than just my dad he's kind of just been like somebody i looked up to and in as far as like okay recovery does work um and so to be honest i just worked right through it so it took us about a week to go through all his things he was like a I wouldn't say hoarder, but he was uh, a procrastinator and all these things. So he had wall-to-wall papers and anywho's. Um, for a whole week, we emptied his his stuff, and um, and then the following week, um, I went back to work. And honestly, it was been a couple of weeks ago. I was talking to my coworker and my friend, um, my a big support of mine, Jackie, and I said. I just realized like I've never stopped long enough to really grieve or process or, or any of that. So um, that was a eye opener and a light bulb for me. Like you need to slow down. Like you're this work that you're doing is amazing and it's, it's nonstop. And, but you also need to take a step back and, 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 you know, just process stuff because I'm just staying busy and I don't know. But, well, you said you have vacation time coming up. What What is your plan for the vacation time? <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I, grew, I grew up mostly in Florida. I was born in New York. We moved to Florida when I was 12. I grew up there, went to high school there, all that good stuff. 
in Central Florida and in Daytona area, but I've never been to Miami somehow. So we're going to Pompano Beach. Uh, we're going to stay right on the beach and everything's already ready except for the date. August 2nd, we're we'll flying on out and, uh, and, and yeah, going to the beach for six days, six nights, something like that. And then, um, then I'm going to come back and spend another week plus doing not work stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yes. I, I can tell you, I've I've been to Miami, um, and uh, that that strip where they have all the deco hotels and what that is some of the most that's that's some of the most beautiful one of the most beautiful places on the war, on the planet. Well, certainly one of the most beautiful places I've been to anyway. Um, and and the excitement and the music and the people and the food and the this and the that and I'm I'm already I'm already dancing a little bit in my seat just thinking about it you know so cool that's that'll be a great little vacation if if are you you're flying down there you're gonna have a car when we are yeah we've rented a car it'll be ready for us when we get off the plane and um because we figured you know Pompano Beach and then Fort Lauderdale and Miami we want to we want to see and do it all. And Uber just didn't seem like a good idea. So yes, we we're rented a car. <laughs> I have not been all the way down to the Keys, but you and you and to get to the Keys, you go from right below Miami. But I have been to, and I'm going to mispronounce it because it's either Isla Morada or Isla Morada. Um, it's right at the beginning of the Keys. Um, and I love that. It was a, it was this little hole. Well, it was a bar. I was drinking at the time. So <laughs> maybe this wasn't the best idea. Um, I, was, I was about to say the one time I've been to Miami, I don't remember being there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've yeah. the voice of Justin over here. Um, I, I, I did do some destructive stuff in Miami, but I did walk around and do some good stuff. And I had a good, I had good food there too. Um, I remember I keyed some guy's Lamborghini <gasps> because wow. I ended up taking pictures of it and I woke up the next morning and was like, oh no. Did you what? do that on purpose? I think so. Oh my God. <laughs> I, well, it was, it was right after I, I had just graduated college and then somehow I got a $2,000 grant like the second to last day I was in school. And I didn't need to use it anymore for school because I had already graduated. So Miami. Um, and we just kind of did whatever. I mean, we did a lot of gambling. I, I had a friend that lived down there who I was in school with. So we went and stayed with his family. And uh, we ended up at, at a casino somewhere. And there was just all these no super problem. nice cars parked out in the parking lot. And I was just like, I got keys. Let's do this. <gasps> and I mean, just, it was, it was this super, super nice, like brand new yellow Lamborghini. And I just, I mean, you know, if you're driving a yellow Lamborghini, you probably deserve it. <laughs> if you're driving a yellow Lamborghini, I feel like you can afford the repairs to the paint job. Oh Look at us taking everybody else's inventory. Yeah, right. <laughs> I hope that, I hope the uh, the uh, owner of that yellow Lamborghini don't watch this show. <laughs> hey, they can't see my face, so. <laughs> hey, hit me, up, hit me up later in the comments. I've got his address. I'll let you know. <laughs> That's that's a crazy story. I, I I don't have any really giant crazy stories in Miami. I wasn't there for very long. We I lived across the Naples, uh, which is on the Gulf Coast, around the same um, 
Latitude? Latitude is her uh, south to east. Yeah, right. Okay, whatever. <laughs> right around. <laughs> you, you take Alligator Alley to get to Fort Lauderdale from Naples, uh, which is a really cool drive. Scaring as heck at night, by the way. But I lived on the other side there, and I never really went to Miami because, um, well, because I knew I had a problem at the time, and I knew that would probably exacerbate the problem. But anyway, so you're going to take a vacation. You're going to come back. What's next for you? What, uh, what, what uh, is the next growth step for Sunrise? Um, growth step for Sunrise? Um, I'd like to say we, we are in the process of so, – so we grew a little bit too rapidly without – without the capacity. So I, I was always like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this without, you know, so we we're, we have gone through growing pains and have learned lots of new experiences through this. Um, so we are actually in the moment, we're in this working on the solution to fix that um, in, uh, in hoping to acquire funding. It sounds pretty good. Um, to get some of our infrastructure staff in place so that Sue doesn't have to do, we have, we have uh, nearly just about 50 employees and I was still doing HR and I was still doing all the things with, with my, my coworker, Jackie. I mean, we, we kind of tag co-directed everything, but we were doing like all the things. She was originally the operations director now she's our finance director and we got we've just this week placed a, a new operations director and um, i hope to get a and i hate this word and maybe somebody can come up with a better title but an executive assistant because um so i'm hoping to get get help <laughs> support and so i'm i'm really i'm feeling really good about the future because like you know there is an issue we're in the solution and you know, here we are. Uh, and so, hopefully, um, with the, the the right players in place, taking you know, taking this, we have an HR person now. And uh, so, Is that I'm excited. I'm excited. An HR person in in the recovery sphere that 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 that's uh, that that almost sounds too good to be true for, for to me anyway. Um, I know my chief operating officer, he sort of does a little bit of this, and a little bit of that. And, and well, actually he does a lot of that and a lot of this and a lot of that. Um, you mentioned having a relationship with the city of Asheville. Um, how, how have you maintained those relationships with Asheville? And do you have, or, or do you plan to have relationships with the state and how do you do your advocacy work that you need to do to maintain well the funding, but also to just maintain the the um, the space to keep in the space, you know, and have those relationships with the municipality or the the city, and ensuring that you can do the work you do, but also being authentic to the peers coming in off the street. What's the balance there for you? So we do have the city of Asheville is our most newest partner if you would um we 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 have really good relationship with uh north carolina dhs um our our recovery community organization funds through the substance use block grant comes from from them through the state level um and so we actually are a regional rco which means we oversee half the state for other recovery community centers and identify and open new ones. So we're actually, that's going to be something that we're going to be working on 
uh, through the end of this year is identifying three new recovery community centers that we can not only provide technical support to, but have some funding through that block grant funding that trickles down to us and then we give to them, which is a full circle moment for Sunrise because that's how Sunrise's doors opened five years ago, right? There was our CNC over in the Raleigh area and they gave us a $50,000 grant, which opened our doors. And then here we are as a RCO being able to do, do that for, for others. So it's, it's really exciting. Um, and, um, I don't know how, you know, we maintain and, and, and continue to grow our relationships. Um, I, I just know one thing, like I said, I, I continue to show up no matter what. I remain authentic and true in, in everything that I do. And if that means I say, uh, we, I'm really sorry, it was my mistake. How can we fix this? Or, you know, just owning you know, just living the life of recovery in every aspect of my my day to day dealings with anyone. Yeah. Um, and so to remain, uh, it's been so. Yeah, it's been in some of our programs. Um, you know, we're we're inside the jail. We have a medication assisted treatment program within our county jail, and we have two peers that are that are in the jail and in the community for that one. Um, we're also in the um, health department with the syringe services program. Um, so we have the harm reduction piece there and we actually work with the city to um, there's containers, the disposals, syringe disposal containers set up throughout the city. So we we also oversee that and empty those. And so we're, we do things that aren't necessarily like, oh, that's not peer support. Yes, it can be peer support, and this is how. <laughs> so there's been a lot of education and advocacy and just, um, you know, maintaining our roots of authentic peer support. That's that's yeah. So you said you've got 50 staff now. That's amazing. Um, what do you see is uh, the next... Well, actually, let me ask a different question. So I am involved with the Recovery Advocacy Project, uh, the National Recovery Advocacy Project. I'm also involved with the Virginia Recovery Advocacy Project, our state affiliate. I know, um, oh, her name is blanking. Uh, Amy Greer, I think. Greer? Oh, darn it. I'm blanking on her name. Um, I can picture her face, too. With the North Carolina Recovery Advocacy Project, do you have any ties with them? I, I know I'm kind of asking this out of left, out of left field here, but do you work with them at all? Have you um, met with anybody from that? Um, I feel like I, I feel like I have. Um, is that is that the um, is it the blue background with the logo? And then yeah. they're in each state and it kind of trained. Yep, that's him. Yes. Yes. And I wish I had more time and more capacity to do more and be involved more. Um, I did go to one of the North Carolina listening sessions that they, they had. Um, and those are the things that I want to be able to focus on. Um, and that that's my excitement and hope that once, you know, once we get a lot of stuff off my plate, I can do this executive director kind of stuff. <laughs> I love that. You're, you're a powerhouse. Um, Sue, I, I, I want to, um, uh, we're 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 gonna we're gonna cut a little bit early today, um, and I I, I uh, wanted to say 
do you have, well, I wanted to ask, do you have anything that you want to share with us that I haven't already asked about or anything that, you know, and I'll, I'll keep in mind. So, so one of the things that we do with this program, and this is my absolute favorite thing that we do, we take, um, well, my, with this program, I mean, we take these broadcasts and we convert it to a podcast and we put it out through Spotify and Amazon and uh, Google and whatever else. But we also give it freely to uh, Paytel and Paytel distributes that to, uh, I think we're up to 48 different jails or prisons throughout the country who are, uh, who put this material on the tablets that the, that the inmates have. So they can access this material for free. Yeah, right? It's it's my absolute favorite. So w while I ask that question for anything else that you want to talk about, think that these are the people who are listening and actually are probably our biggest audience. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is where my passion really lies because this is where my lived experience, uh, I, have, I have tons of lived experience of incarceration and probation and drug court and all the things I have. Uh, as a matter of fact, in our county, there's a recovery campaign and uh, it, it, it finally has come to fruition and we have posters. We did a photo shoot. There's like 10 of us that have previously been incarcerated and um, we, it's all over the jail. So these posters with our faces, with our mug shots and our now shots and our, our little write up, for example, it's in my trunk. Otherwise I'd read it to you. But for example, mine has like 30 plus arrests, uh, domestic violence, um, unhealthy relationships, un you know, um, homeless and all these things. And then it says uh, executive director at Sunrise, um, you know, drug court graduate, um, homeowner things like that and and so that's that's something that's been pretty powerful around um our county here at the moment um because the whole point was we want folks that are in jails um and 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 stuff to know that it it is real recovery does happen it can happen and and they too can be successful like you know, before I was in cart, as a matter of fact, Saturday will be eight years since I was last criminally charged and incarcerated. So I'll be, cel uh -huh, I'll be cel uh, celebrating my eight, eight years in recovery. Um, and I stayed in jail for uh, that, that last time. Um, I stayed there for about four and a half months and I did 90 days in treatment. Then I swore into drug court or treatment court or they, they're still using the drug court language here, but... Um, and, uh, you know, just since then, the life that I live now is, is I, I didn't, I never thought to be an executive director. I didn't think I would, you know, I just wanted to be happy and I wanted to have, you know, I wanted to own my home and I want to have my kids back. That's a huge one for me. I went very, I went tons and tons and tons of years. So it felt like for without my children due to my, my addiction and, and all that. And um, I've had them, I've had full custody back of them for the last five years. Um, so it's possible. Like before I went to jail, I remember sitting there ripping and running and I thought I accepted it. I accepted that I was just gonna be like this, that there was no hope because like for 12 years, I was in and out of jail, in and out of recovery, and in, in and out of outpatient and inpatient and all the things that I got to the point where I was like, well, you know, this just doesn't work. This ain't going to work for me. 
uh, that's okay. I'll just, you know, keep doing this. And maybe one day my kids might want to talk to me when, once they're 18. And I accepted that. I, I can really feel and remember that moment when I was like, this is the life I'm going to live until I die. And uh, my my universe, my higher power uh, seemed different for me and swooped me up into jail and <laughs> kept me there long enough for my fog to clear. <laughs> and um, I sat in, in, the, in that jail cell and I wrote out affirmations and I said them every day, two, three, four times a day. And I get, and I promise you, every single, it was front and back page, every single one of those affirmations that I said has come true in reality. I just wanted to be, this is funny. And I wanted to be popular in good ways because I was really popular in the hood as a booster. And they knew me like, oh, there's the Tide and, and Game lady. And there's the, you know, toilet paper and paper towel lady. And I was really popular, but I wanted to be popular in a good way. And I never expected it to be like this. <laughs> so I love it. I have to go back to something you, you said there. Is it possible to get arrested in North Carolina for bad relationships? Is that a thing? I mean, it depends what you do in that relationship, sure. Because <laughs> I'm a felon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Sue, thank you. It's really awesome to catch up with you. And I, I am sorry about your father. I realize it's been almost a year, but it's it's been a weird year for everybody. And uh, it's really great to see that you are still doing the things that you do. Um, I know you're making a difference in Asheville. Um, it was good to meet you. I hope to meet you again um, 50 pounds lighter because I've gained a lot since I saw you. Um, <laughs> that's been my challenge during, um, during COVID. But... Uh, I wanted to say thank you again for being here. Thanks for being on the show and for all the work that you do. Um, I do want to say, so we've got the McShin Foundation is celebrating 17 years now. And I'm going to do a quick shout out because we're celebrating our, our 17th year this, this month. And we were able to keep the doors open for 365 days during the pandemic, every single day of the year, every single day, you know, while the jails were releasing people early without a home plan. While um, our community service boards, which is our behavioral health, our governmental behavioral health centers here in Virginia, while those were closing down, while treatment centers were refusing to take people, while emergency departments were barely treating and treating even, you know, we kept the doors open. And, and as a result of that, you know, helping to absorb and, and meet, meet the need, you know, we, we are we're struggling. Um, so I'm going to ask and put this out there. Thank you, for, uh, Justin, for putting that down on the screen. You know, the McShin Foundation is always looking for ways to help invest in in recovery, and we know that when we invest in recovery, you know, we're building stronger families. You know, we're creating safer communities. We're producing healthier citizens. And so when you're investing in McShin, you're investing in recovery. And so we hope that if you can put a couple of dollars in the kitty, you know, help the next person who's coming from jail, coming from the streets, you know, coming from a bad relationship, you know, trying to get better. Because um, that, that, that first step is really hard. You know, first step is really hard. Um, thank you again, Sue. It's really awesome to see you. Tell your daughter I said hello. Um, I will. Yeah, she won't remember. Oh, she probably will. <laughs> I guess it was kind of out of the. It was kind of a out of the blue thing. Um, that beautiful blue shirt that you gave me. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to come down and get a new one. 
Okay, I, we I, got it, even more now. I ripped the sleeve on it. Like within a few weeks, I wore it several times. It's very comfortable, and I love that color. So we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, Next week, to everybody watching, uh, next week, the Get in the Herd is going to go dark for the week, which means we're going to uh, not have any new episodes next week. We're going to take a little break. And while we do that, we're going to work on some technological issues behind the scenes. We're going to get a little training going on back here so that uh, we got some people cross-trained on some things. But we're going to take a little breather. We've been going strong since the beginning of May with three, at least three episodes per week, sometimes four and five. While we've been also doing all the other events that we do, Justin's been doing the uh, Breaking the Bondages of Addiction. Is that what it's called? Breaking the Bondage of Addiction. Yeah, yes. breaking, I, I stumble over words. Every Sunday. So we're going to take a little breather, kind of regroup, and then we've got some fantastic programming coming in through August. And I still have a mission to program every single day during recovery month. So y'all can hold me to that. And Justin's rolling his eyes as I say that. But I, I think that we're gonna, we've got some ideas going on. So if you have any ideas or thoughts, send it to me. Uh, we would love to incorporate some of that. You know, obviously we want to, you know, we want to put out information that's pertinent to everybody. So again, Sue, thank you. Love you. Um, I'll come to Asheville again soon. I hope. Uh, Justin, thank you for all the stuff that you do and Absolutely. for everybody watching and listening. Thank you so much. Have a great day and we'll see you in August. Hi, everyone. I'm Honesty Liller. I am the CEO of the McShen Foundation and a woman in long-term recovery since May 27, 2007. I have not used drugs or alcohol. Thank you so, so much to the Richmond Times Dispatch and all of our voters for getting the Herd podcast. Those podcasts are amazing. Not only has it helped thousands upon thousands of people in their recovery, as well as family members, but it has helped me in my personal recovery. I get to listen to them now in my car through Spotify and iHeartRadio. And it's just really, really important for us to be innovative in the addiction field and the recovery community. So when COVID hit, we had to be innovative. You know, we really had to think of like, what can we do to reach people that cannot go to 12-step meetings? smart recovery, faith-based, whatever, um, that we're shutting down constantly. So we were innovative here at McShin. Let's start podcast. So with Todd, John, Alex, um, and some other staff, you know, we all just kind of jumped in who can do what. And um, with Todd's lead and John's lead, the podcasts have been amazing and we're still doing them today. So I want to thank you for all of your votes and all of your energy and all of your support of our mission of healing families and saving lives. Thanks.